This episode is brought to you by the Device and Virtue podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Adam. On Device and Virtue, Chris and I argue about the wrongs and rights Christians face with technology in everyday life. From smartphones to evangelism chatbots. To that selfie stick Adam shouldn't have bought. It's nice. Subscribe at deviceandvirtue.com. This is Troy and Joel, and you're listening to Revive Thoughts. We don't know whether the height or the depth of this marvelous promise is more noteworthy. Jesus Christ presents himself to all mankind and declares himself able to deal with the needs of every single individual. Every episode, we bring you a different voice from history in a sermon that they delivered. Today's sermon comes to us from Alexander McLaren, who preached in the mid-1880s. Now, normally this is the part of the show, and if you're a regular listener, you know that right now you'd listen to a biography of the speaker and the preacher and how they fit into history. Uh, Today's episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. We have the opportunity to interview Greg Gordon for our show, and he is the head of Sermon Index, which is the largest website when it comes to old sermons online. We also learned in the interview, I didn't know this, that most of the old audio tapes of sermons and preachers that you can find online also came from him as well. So it was a really cool interview. We're going to put that on for you. We just want that resource to be available to you. But if you're going, hey, I I do want to learn a little bit more about Alexander McLaren. We do have an earlier episode that we've done with him. We highly recommend you go check it out. Go listen to his backstory and you can hear his, he's a really cool story, a very interesting guy. Uh, but I think that it'll also, if you're not as interested or you want to hear this interview, listen to that and then go into the sermon. I think it's a wonderful sermon, and I think you'll be really encouraged by the interview. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of our listeners, if you're into old sermons, you're probably maybe already aware of the Sermon Index website. It's, it's a really neat resource, and we had a neat opportunity to talk to the guy that runs it. Today we have Greg Gordon of Sermon Index on. Uh, Greg, can you tell us about who you are and what is Sermon Index? Yeah, sure, Troy. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Joel. And uh, when I got your email, I thought it was an awesome opportunity to connect with this podcast. And what you guys are really doing is a, is a similar kind of synergy with Sermon Index. Um, yeah. Sermon Index uh, started in 2002. So it's one of those like old websites when like, you know, um, MSN was popular. (laughs) Yeah. You're before Facebook. I mean, my goodness. Praise.com. I'm not sure if you guys know that one. That was like the premier Christian website. I don't know that one. I'll be honest. I think I was in middle school in 2002. (laughs) So that might be part of it. Well, no one remembers it anymore. It's out there still, but, uh, you know, Back in those days when it started, those were the, the site that was popular. But we, we started way back then. And uh, currently to date, there's well over 100 million sermons distributed, which is pretty neat. And uh, we have a you know, pretty large YouTube channel that's grown to 200,000 subscribers. But we kind of were like late to, to go onto Facebook or to Twitter or to YouTube because my, my, my mentality is like it's old sermons. So we're not going to just jump on every new innovation. Even the website looks old. Mm-hmm. So the idea is like the website's not even changed basically in 20 years. <laughs> it's the platform underneath it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the idea is we're not trying to do something new. We're just trying to kind of reshare and uh, re-give what's the, old, the older truths there, the, the Bible uh, preaching. And 
uh, one of the verses, you know, that God gave me when I started, you know, all the way back then was Jeremiah 16, uh, 16. And it says, you know, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you'll find rest for your souls. So the, those old paths or the ancient paths was the kind of a vision God gave me of just sharing the sermons that way and um, looking for those older ways that people used to walk in. And, you know, we're, we're in a day of innovation and new things. And really, I think the crying need or the desire of a lot of people is to get back to what is sure, what is genuine, what is sincere, what is ancient, what is proven. And, uh, you know, I hope Sermon Index has been that encouragement for quite a few people and, and maybe still will be. You know? Yeah. 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 I love that kind of focusing on the content of that. And Troy and I definitely, we resonate with that concept of, yeah, there's there's something tried and true and proven about these yes. old sermons um, that have stand the test of time. They're still relevant today in, in some pretty incredible ways. What was the the thing that got you interested in the old sermons? Like, was there a specific book or a specific preacher that uh, kind of inspired you to go down this trail? Yeah, because I remember for me, I remember the book. I remember the everything about the first time I read an old Dietrich Bonhoeffer sermon. I went into it with such a bad attitude of like, what is the point of even reading this? Like, oh, I bought this book. It was a waste of money. And then I remember the light bulb going off like, oh my goodness, this is really incredibly important truth that is just stuck in a book. People need to hear this again. I remember that moment so vividly. What Did you have a moment like that for yourself with these kind of older sermons? Yeah, interesting to say that because uh, it was a book for me too, and it was uh, Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill. Ooh. Yeah, and, I haven't heard of yeah. that one. Well, a lot of people never heard of Leonard Ravenhill. To be honest, he, he was popular in the 1970s with that book. Everyone knew it, and then he sort of died away from the scene of any popularity at all. And when I read that book, it really uh, sparked in me a desire to really search out church history of revival more. And A.W. Tozer was another one that helped, but Leonard Ravenhill really paved the path with all of his, um, he always mentions people and quotes, you know, of different old authors. So you basically just look at all the quotes he quotes, and, and then you look at the guys he quotes, and you just research them. And then you, all of a sudden you have this huge uh, web of searching into church history, which is just amazing. And um, a lot of young people now have heard of Ravenhill. He's, he's pretty popular on YouTube. And um, I think Sermon Index has a small part of just bringing that voice back to the church, you know. Absolutely. I, I will say I first encountered Ravenhill and I haven't heard I haven't listened to a lot of his sermons I've listened to a few but I'm pretty sure it was a Ravenhill sermon jam for when we, you know when we heard more of those out there and I remember thinking this guy sounds great and I didn't know I mean you could tell that the radio was tinny but I didn't realize that guy lived a very long time ago um, listening to it uh, we got another question for you that we were wondering what made you decide to start a website for these other people because you could have said wow these old sermons are great um, 
I'm going to kind of hold on to this content. You know, it's going to be something I might mention as I teach and do my own thing. But what made you think like we need one location to find all these sermons? Because even in our show, there have been times where it was Sermon Index that had that sermon that I was like, oh, this is or where we found at least uh, I, I sometimes use Sermon Index to verify a transcript. Like, OK, they say this is a transcript by so and so. Does Sermon Index agree? OK, cool. This is probably, you know, a legitimate resource then. Yeah, um, I guess the, when I read, I listened to Leonard Ravenhill after I read the book, and I found um, uh, a contact to him. He he died by that point, but Deborah Ravenhill was still alive, and she was related. And I thought anyone with the name Ravenhill, I have to speak to them. You know, <laughs> yeah, just sort of unpack my heart for about an hour on the phone to her. She listened to me, and I really poured out my heart and. The book significantly changed me. Like it really gave me a real teeth to what God was showing me. Um, I was in a Presbyterian church, but then I was reading the book of Acts and I thought, how does this work together? You know? And uh, I think Leonard Ravenhill just gave me that uh, thought. It's revival basically. And um, so she was encouraged by what I was sharing. And then she said, you know, I have an old, a shoebox of, of Ravenhill tapes. Would you like them? Wow. I almost dropped the phone and passed out or something. You know, I thought, yes, you know, give it to me. So um, she mailed them to me and I said, I asked her on the phone there. I said, you know, verbal consent. I said, um, if I copied these onto a computer and put them on a website, uh, would that be allowed? And then I said, they'll be free. And she, she says, as long as they're free distribution, you can do that. So that was officially my green light to go ahead and do it. And I, I was into computer things barely. Mm-hmm. And um, I just thought that would be a tremendous way to share this this old voice. And um, and that was the beginning of just 12 or 20 sermons on the website, on a link, on a one-page little website. And uh, that was the beginning. <laughs> wow, that's, mm-hmm. that's incredible that you started with... I mean, exclusive audio in a sense like that. I mean, there would have been no other place to get that. That's really cool. Yeah, that's neat. I'm curious. I mean, you you deal with so much audio and so many sermons. Do you have a a view on how sermons have kind of changed with time? Is there kind of a a shift that you've noticed? Or I don't know, is there something about older sermons um, that you think is different from today? And, And if so, could you put your finger on it? Well, I'm not, I'm not too old, you know, brothers, and um, I've been saved. I've been a Christian for 20, 24 years, maybe 23 years. And uh, when I used to go to the Presbyterian Church, an old stoic stone church in downtown Toronto, you know, the streets were empty and the bell was ringing. Hmm. So when the bell rung, it's time to go, you know, and I lived actually only a few blocks from the church. You could hear the bell. So I would go to the church and carry your Bible and you'd walk and carry your Bible. And, um, you know, as as the church was ended, the sermon finished and the benediction was given, you left the church and the streets were pretty much empty. Very few cars, very few people. And you just walk home with your Bible in your hand. You know, I noticed the change within a 10 year to 12 year period from that point that I was going out with some friends after church and we went down to a a, a more busy street to, I guess, 
uh, buy something to eat, which was bad to do anyways, I guess, in some ways. And all of a sudden, I realized that the street was packed full of people, like uh, an amazing amount of people. And my mind raced back to 10 years before when I realized on the, on the Sundays that there was a fear of the Lord in the city and the streets were minimally busy. And I started to cry actually on the street that day. And I had tears in my eyes and I realized there's just no fear of God anymore. People don't care too much. Hmm. And Sunday is just like another day. And um, that's just a personal experience to, to describe the difference of not just preaching, but just how the church and the society is changing in the Western culture and in Canada, at least, you know, um, I just jotted down a few I, I thoughts in my mind, you know, when I, you said that quickly too. I thought, you know, sermons are for obedience, not information only. Hmm. And there, there's lots of scriptures we can share about that. You know, like that's a, that's, I, I think it's a biblical thing I'm saying. I'm not too heretical there. Um, preaching, you know, I think uh, the olden fashioned preachers would preach to the conscience and heart directly. But a lot of modern preaching preaches to the mind or amuses the mind gives you you know jokes and stimulation and and you're you fill the time but the, the conscience is not touched there's no weightiness with it there's nothing that pierces your heart and deals with your conscience um a lot of old-time sermons would lead to god the point of the sermon was god hmm. not you and you were the in between, but really the, the end goal was God, to meet with God, to worship God. And a lot of church experiences, you know, the, the end goal is to listen to a sermon by a person on earth and to finish with that mindset and not to really elevate your mind towards God. And, um, you know, sermons were not for evangelism primarily, historically. Um, that changed over time. D.L. Moody changed that. Spurgeon changed that a bit. I was bit. just thinking, I was thinking when you said that, I was like, well, when I think of Spurgeon, I think of Moody, those guys are very evangelistic in it, but you're saying that was something that happened as a course of time moved. Yeah, that, that's something I just, I've seen, there's actually a book called, uh, by my fr good friend, uh, Robert Wirtz, called Tele-Evangelicism, Tele and the idea is through the revival history, more and more and more, the, the sermon or the church becomes the evangelism tool hmm. rather than a place to meet with God. Hmm. So you're sort of like bringing people to church to get saved. Yeah. Where the old fashioned idea was you, you're, you're benedicted or sent out during the week to be a witness in the world. But when you come to church, it's more for the saints of God or the church to be encouraged and strengthened. And, um, you know, that's, and a lot, a lot of new preaching is, is looking for something new, something fun, innovative, a new, like, wow, that person just preached that sermon. I never heard anyone in church history share that like that. That's mm -hmm. a new way of thinking. And wow, that's exciting. But that's a bad thing, right? We want, what's the historical biblical view? What, what did the apostles believe? What did, you know, if a modern preacher has a new idea, is this really the best thing? So I think that the old-fashioned preachers were more 
uh, people of the book. They wanted to not use the scripture to preach their message. They wanted to preach the scripture, and that was their goal. Hmm. They, they didn't use the scripture as a launching pad for their ideas. They, they wanted to be, to be faithful to just say what the Bible says and conform their mind or their thinking to the Bible. And there has been a, a gradual change away from that uh, quite a bit where uh, preachers will, even expository preachers, God bless them, I think it's wonderful. Expository preaching is very old. Uh, St. Chrysanthem mm -hmm. was one of the most famous expository preachers. Augustine was, a lot of these old guys. But um, uh, even the expository preaching in it of itself is not a safety of you uh, uh, to, to not use the scriptures for your own means yeah so the repository preacher can't abuse the scriptures to get his own personal points up across his political views or you know you fill in the blank you know yeah yeah and actually it's funny that you say that the uh that the old ways of doing it uh, that have stood the test of time these old preachers are relying on a lot of times when people are trying to come up with something new I feel like a lot of the takes on these passages End up actually sounding in reverse instead of coming up with something new all the time it, It's either new is in it's a heretical you probably don't want to hear that or it ends up becoming They all kind of start to sound the same where every you know There's only so many new ideas any one human can come up with and it doesn't actually create something new Whereas when I go to these old sermons and I read these old thoughts and the way these, you know, we listen to these sermons from older preachers, I feel like it's the opposite. I feel like this old truth feels new, feels like a much fresher outlook on most of the passages and stuff than anything I hear currently being preached. I don't know if that quite makes sense, but it just, it mm -hmm. seems like the traditional way of looking at it, it fits best and it, and it feels new because we've moved so far from that. Do you think about how your iPhone affects your daily life as a Christian? I'm Adam. And I'm Chris. And this episode is brought to you by the Device and Virtue podcast, where we argue about the wrongs and rights of technology and faith in everyday life, from DNA tests to TikTok videos. Give us a listen, and this fall, check out our new online seminary course. It's called Theology of Technology, Church and Culture in the Age of Zoom. Find out more at deviceandvirtue.com. I think our final question here is, is there, any, is there any passing final thoughts you'd like to bring to our audience in this opportunity? Anything as someone who has a lot more experience, has been working with older sermons uh, six to seven times longer than Joel and I have. Is there anything you'd like to, you'd like to leave our audience with? Yeah, just uh, su subscribe. Tell other people to subscribe to this podcast because, you know, um, we, we just need more people to, you know, hear the old sermons and to, I love what you guys do. You're taking across theological boundaries, you know, different speakers from church history. And I think it's a beautiful mix of sermons. I saw some uh, anti-Nicene fathers you guys are reading out there and uh, Spurgeon and just the whole mix. And I think, you know, we become lopsided so if we just listen to Spurgeon, we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, Spurgeon was well-read. He enjoyed to read the Antonicene Fathers, too, and other older um, writings. And Tozer is a wonderful modern preacher, but he loved to de de delve into the mystics and to the monastics and to all these um, kind of seekers after God. 
And uh, I think the one thing I'd like to leave the, the audience with, if they hear this, is, um, you know, the point of the sermon is is to meet with God, is to know Him. And imagine, you know, uh, reading the Bible, hearing the Bible, hearing sermons about the Bible, you know, doing all these things, um, being in Christian ministry with Bible things, or you know, but never really growing in your deeper relationship with the person that everything speaks about that we worship, we speak to, we sing to. So the point of this podcast definitely uh, should be uh, that. And uh, people, I'm sure, are, are doing that and are blessed because of what you do. And I noticed on your website there's this old picture. And I really liked it. There was this old chapel, and it was all burnt and broken down. Yeah. Thank but you. There was an, yeah, well, you're welcome. Uh, but there was an altar there. And I really, uh, when I saw that, I really got moved. And I thought, you know, the broken down altar, because the altar, it faced uh, not the people. The altar faced away from the people. So the object of the, the church was even the, the pastor would face the altar and, and pray prayers towards God. So everyone faced towards God. And uh, I just thought it was a beautiful picture there of what a lot of ancient churches, even the Catholics or Anglicans, or you know, they've turned the altar around to face the people. And the danger of that is we become so man-centered so quickly. And what you guys are doing to bring out these old preachers who are very God-centered, I think, you know, should bring people in that direction. So I'm really thankful uh, for that. Well, thank you very much, Greg. We're very appreciative to have you on. And as all of our listeners, when they are finished listening to the sermon by Alexander McLaren, we recommend that you check Greg Gordon out at sermonindex.com. Sermon Index. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if some of our familiars are already, you know, aware of your website. Yeah, just this is because their chance it's... to hear behind the scenes. I think. Yeah, yeah, kind of behind the scenes look. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. We don't know whether the height or the depth of this marvellous promise is more noteworthy. Jesus Christ presents himself to all mankind and declares himself able to deal with the needs of every single individual, if anyone, no matter who, where or when. For a noble and happy life, there are at least three things needed security, food, and home for the exercise of activity. To provide these is the goal of all human society and government. Jesus Christ here says that he can give these to everyone. The imagery of the sheep and the fold is still in his mind, but the substance is the declaration that, to any and every soul, no matter how tossed about with danger, no matter how hampered and hindered in work, and no matter how barren of all supply earth may be, he will give these things, the primary requirements of life. Now, I wish to deal with the following three aspects of the blessedness of a true Christian life, which our Lord says are accessible to us all. Security, the free exercise of activity, and food. First, in and through Christ, any man may be saved. I think the word saved here is used with reference to the imagery of the parable 
rather than in its full Christian sense of ultimate and everlasting salvation. That is to say, its meaning in this context might be better understood to mean safe rather than saved. At the same time, there is crossover between the two ideas. The declaration of my sermon is that we will go step by step and conflict by conflict with Jesus Christ, and he will keep us safe until the end when we reach eternal and everlasting salvation. He will save us by the continual exercise of his protecting power into his everlasting kingdom. There is no other shelter for men's defenseless heads and vulnerable bodies except for the shelter that is found in him. There are creatures in the animal world which have the instinct, because their own bodies are so undefended against predators and other threats, to take refuge in the abandoned shells of other creatures. Likewise, you and I have to take refuge behind the defences of that strong love and mighty hand of God if we wish to pass through life without fatal harm. For consider that, even in regard to outward dangers, union with Jesus Christ defends and delivers us. Imagine the two Manchester merchants are made bankrupt by the same commercial crisis. Or maybe the two shipwrecked soldiers are lashed upon a raft. Or the two men sitting side by side in a railway carriage and are smashed by the same collision. If one is a Christian and the other is not, then the same blow is altogether different in aspect and actual effect upon the two men. They endure the same thing externally, in body or in fortune. Although the outward man is similarly affected, the inward man is differently affected. The one is crushed or embittered or driven to despair or to alcohol or to something to soothe the bitterness. But the other bows in reverence, saying, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So the two disasters are utterly different, though in form they may be the same. And he that has entered into the fold by Jesus Christ is safe, not from outward disaster, for that would be but a small thing, but in it. For to the true heart that lives in fellowship with Jesus Christ, sorrow, though it is dark-robed, is bright-faced, soft-handed, gentle-hearted, an angel of God. Again, in Christ's own words, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Additionally, in our union with Jesus Christ, which comes by simple faith, loyal submission and obedience, we receive an indestructible defense against the true evils. What are these? The only real evil is the danger that we will lose our confidence and be untrue to our best selves and depart from the living God. Nothing is evil except that which may successfully tempt us away from him. And in regard to all such danger, there is the only one secret of safety and victory, to cleave to Christ, to realize his presence, to think of him, to wear his name as an amulet on our hearts, and to put the thought of him between us and temptation as a filter through which the poisonous air will pass and be deprived of its virus. A real gift of power from Jesus Christ is promised to us. This power is the influx of his strength into our weakness and his spirit of life into our deadness. The promise is abundantly fulfilled to all men who trust him when the hour of temptation comes. Just like the martyr Stephen who looked up to heaven and saw Jesus Christ standing at the Father's right hand ready to comfort his servant. So may we, if we will, see the same image of Christ ready to comfort us. 
We may, eat, we may see him even coming by our side to deliver us from the power of temptation. How pathetic would inducements to leave our Father be if we could carry that vision into our daily life and walk in its light. Through remembering Jesus, we gain the power to kill every wicked thought. We can slay the things that tempt us most and most directly appeal to our worst sides. Our ambition, our pride, our distrust and our self-will, all these lose their power over us and are discovered to be empty and insignificant. Once this thought flashes across the mind, Jesus Christ is my defence and Jesus Christ is my example and my companion. Oh brother, do not trust yourself out among the pitfalls and snares of life without him. If you do, the real evil of all evils will seize you for its own. But keep close to that dear Lord, and then no evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. You will pass by the hidden temptation without being harmed, and you will trample obvious temptation underfoot. You will not be afraid of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noon. And so, kept safe from each danger, and in each moment of temptation, the sum of these several deliverances will amount to the everlasting salvation which will be perfected in the heavens. Only remember the condition, if anyone enters by me. That is not a thing to be done once for all, but needs perpetual repetition. When we clasp anything in our hands, however tight the initial grasp, we must continually renew the tightening to keep our grasp. Otherwise, our muscles will become lax. Likewise, in our Christian life, it is only the continual repetition of the act which our Lord here calls entering in by him that will bring to us this continual exemption from and immunity in the dangers that threaten us. Keep Christ between you and the storm. Keep on the lee side of the rock of ages. Keep behind the breakwater, for there is a wild sea running outside, and your little boat, undecked and with a feeble hand at the helm, will soon be swamped. Keep within the fold, for wolves and lions lie in every bush. Or, in plain English, live moment by moment in the realisation of Christ's presence, power and grace. This and only this will ensure your safety. Now, secondly, in Jesus Christ, any man may find a field for the unrestricted exercise of his activity. That metaphor of going in and out is partly explained to us by the image of the flock, which passes into the fold for peaceful rest and out again without danger for exercise and food. It is also partly explained by the frequent use in the Old Testament and in common conversation of the expression going out and in, as the designation of the two-sided activity of human life. The one side is the contemplative life of interior union with God by faith and love, and the other the active life of practical obedience in the field of work which God provides for us. These two sides can be raised to their highest power and be carried out with the most unrestricted and joyous activity, on condition of our keeping close to Christ and living by the faith of him. Note the phrase in the passage, he will go in. You must go into the depths of God through Christ. You must go into the depths of your own souls through him. 
You must learn to withdraw yourselves from the distractions of any external activity, however important, charitable or necessary it might be, and live alone with Jesus in the secret place of the Most High. It is through Him that we have access to the mysteries and innermost shrine of the temple. It is through Him that we draw near to the depths of deity. It is through Him that we learn the length, width, height and depth of the largest, loftiest and noblest truth that concern the Spirit. It is through Him that we become familiar with the innermost secrets of our own selves. And only they who habitually live this hidden life of solitary and secret communion will ever do much in the field of outward work. Christians of this generation are far too accustomed to only living in the front rooms of the house that look out upon the street. While they know far too little about their soul's health and far too little about that inward life of silent contemplation and expectant adoration by which all strength is fed. Do not keep all your goods in the shop windows and have nothing on your shelves but dummies, as is the case with far too many of us today. Remember that the Lord said first, He will go in, and unless you do, you will not be saved. If an unrestricted exercise of that sweet and silent life of solitary communion with Christ continues, it will be followed by a growth of opportunity and power for outward service of a kind that nothing but emancipation by faith in Him can ever bring. Sometimes we may feel hampered and hindered by our circumstances. In these times we may feel that if things were only different, then we could do a great deal more for Christ's cause. The true hindrance, however, comes not from outside of us, but from within. And it can only be overcome by plunging into the depths of fellowship with Him. If we carry this with us into the field of work, whether our work be the commonplace, tedious and often repulsive duties of our monotonous business, or whether it is the field of more distinctly unselfish and Christian service, then the sweet thought of His presence, example, love and smile will change us. Suddenly, we will find that external labour, drawing its power from communion with Him, no longer feels like slavery. Rather, the rough places will be made smooth and the crooked things will be made straight. And distasteful work will be made at least tolerable. Hard burdens will be lightened. And the things that are seen and temporal will shine out the things that are unseen and eternal. Lastly, in Jesus Christ, any man may receive sustenance. As the verse says, he will find pasture. The imagery of the sheep and the fold is still, of course, present to the master's mind and shapes the form in which this great promise is given. To illustrate this, I only need to remind you of two facts. First, that in Jesus Christ himself, all the true needs of humanity are met and satisfied. He is the bread of God that came down from heaven to give life to the world. Do I want an outward object for my intellect? I have it in him. Does my heart desire something it can grab hold of without fear that that very thing will ever rot or be destroyed? Jesus Christ is the home of love in which the dove may fold its wings and be at rest. Do I want, and I do if I'm not a fool, an absolute and authoritative command to be laid upon my will? Someone whose looks beckon and whose lightest words are spells? I find absolute authority, with no taint of tyranny and no degradation to me, 
in that infinite will of his? Does my conscience need some strong detergent to be laid upon it, which will take out the stains that are most indurated, inveterate, and ingrained? I find it only in the blood that cleanses from all sin. Do my aspirations and desires seek for some solid, substantial, unquestionable and imperishable good towards which they may aim and be sure that they are not anchoring on cloudland? Christ is our hope. For all this craving that I carry within my soul, there is but one satisfaction, Jesus Christ himself. Nothing else nourishes the whole man at once but him. So in and through Christ, we find pasture. But beyond that, if we are joined to him by simple and continual faith, love and obedience, then what is otherwise barrenness becomes full of nourishment, and the unsatisfying gifts of the world become rich and precious. They are worthless when they are put first, but they are much when they are put second. I remember when I was in Australia, seeing some wretched cattle trying to find grass on a yellow pasture where there was nothing but here and there a brown stalk that crumbled to dust in their mouths when they tried to eat it. That is the world without Jesus Christ. And I saw the same pasture six weeks after when the rains had come and the grass was high, rich, juicy, satisfying. That is what the world may be to you if you'll put it second and seek first that your souls will be fed on Jesus Christ. Then and only then, Will what is otherwise water be turned by his touch and blessing into wine? And that wine will fill the great jars to the brim and be pronounced by skilled palates to be the good wine. As the Lord promises in Ezekiel 34:14, I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Revived Thoughts. Today's episode was narrated by Pastor John Brand. Special thanks to him. If you would like to narrate a sermon here in Revived Thoughts, feel free to email us at revivedthoughts at gmail.com. The transcript for today's episode and all of our episodes can be found at revivedthoughts.com. We once again want to thank uh, Greg Gordon for coming on the show and remind you to check out Sermon Index and you'll find lots of sermons and lots of information there. So if you enjoy these old sermons, which if you listen to our show, you probably do, that's a great resource we wanted to recommend that you check out. Also, special thanks to Ben Yost for editing the sermon and helping uh, bring this episode together. Ben Yost has been helping us edit these sermons and has done a couple of these now. It's been a really great help and we're very grateful for having him do that with us. Also, we would love for you to share this episode. Tell others about what's going on at Revive Thoughts and let your friends and family know about it. This is Troy and Jill, and this is Revive Thoughts. This episode is brought to you by the Device and Virtue podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Adam. On Device and Virtue, Chris and I argue about the wrongs and rights Christians face with technology in everyday life. From smartphones to evangelism chatbots. To that selfie stick Adam shouldn't have bought. It's nice. Subscribe at deviceandvirtue.com.